welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Today's episode is brought to you by... Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Listeners, we um, welcome you back to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Um, I'm, I don't think we're going to dilly-dally much longer. Um, we have a very special guest here today with us. Um, she was she joined us, I think it's almost been a year and a half, two years ago, um, when COVID first started. Miss um, Nora Felposh is here, and she um, is a mental health expert, and her family runs a, a couple dairies. And so it, it's a great tie into agriculture, mental health, and mental health in general. And heading into a new year, I think it's very timely to kind of dive into some of those topics. So Nora, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. A lot has happened in the time since we last spoke. It really has. And it's, I think we were talking about how, oh, we'll just reschedule stuff for the end of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because everything will be all wrapped up by then and we'll be back to normal. And now we're talking the new normal um, instead of ever getting back to sort of the pre-COVID years. Yeah, most definitely. And um would you want to maybe, um, for listeners that didn't listen to your first episode with us, give us a little um, introduction to yourself and, and kind yeah. of your new role that you just took as well? Absolutely. So I'm Dr. Nora Felposh. I am a psychiatrist did my uh, training at Michigan State University. Um, I, I specialize actually in college mental health, but interestingly enough, the, about a year ago, um, I took the medical directorship position at Mantra Health, which is a telehealth company that specializes in college mental health, but also treats other folks. Um, and we actually um, have done a lot of work to bring telehealth to rural areas and especially rural campuses, because I think we'll probably talk a little bit later about um, access to care and how um, how difficult that can be, especially if you're living in a in a rural area. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my background. I also um, am married to my husband husband who is a third generation dairyman who also has now uh, nephews that are joining. So, uh, so four generations of dairy in the family. Uh, and um, so we live in Colorado, we live on the on the dairy. Um, and for the past year or so, though, I've been telecommuting to Manhattan from the dairy. So um, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, there are good things and there are not so good things about um, what we've all been through uh, in the last two years. So, well, your commute's not very long though to Manhattan, which is probably nice. It is moments. It is moments, <laughs> which is good and bad, right? Because we've also had quarantined kids in the house on and off for the past two years. And um, as everybody knows, that can be uh, an extra layer of complication when you're trying to look professional uh, and you're sitting in the corner of your bedroom or your closet, you know, like trying to tell the kids to shush while you uh, answer questions or, you know, end up on a podcast or whatever it is that I've been doing for the last couple of years. <laughs> For sure. So to kick things off, um, let's just say, let's just, can you give us a, a, a quick preview or a quick view of 
um, changes that you've seen in mental health in our society since 2020 when COVID started? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think there's anyone who's got their eyes open or their ears open has had trouble with this whole idea of isolation, with loneliness, with boredom, depression and anxiety are both up um, across the board. So, you know, before 2019, I think was when the previous set of statistics came in. um, And at that time, um, one in 10 adults were talking about having symptoms consistent with anxiety or depression. um, And now it's more like four in 10. So four times higher. Um, So that's, that's sort of the the bad news is that, um, you know, anxiety, depression is up. um, Isolation and loneliness is up. uh, Feelings of burnout especially for um, workers in particular, in particular, in particular fields is up. Um, The good news is that it looks like statistic wise, um, for the most part, suicides are down a little bit. Um, And, you know, it's hard to know that that trend actually started in 2018, early 2019. So it's hard to know if it's just that COVID didn't impact that, or if actually suicides uh, trended down just a little bit. Um, as a result of some mix of the things that are going that are going on, and that's not true for 25 to 34 year olds. So young people, um, suicide rates um, continue to increase over time. Um, that said, suicide rates now versus 10 years ago significantly higher. And you know, one of the things actually I, I forgot to introduce at the beginning, and I. Sh- should have said um, was that, you know, it's hard to talk about mental health, right? It's hard to talk about anxiety. It's hard to talk about depression. um, And it's hard to talk about um, um, suicidality. I mean, it's just, it's really sad. And it it is affected. The the numbers are so high in this country that it's affected all of us in some way or another. Um, And and so if, if people feel triggered by this conversation, or if you feel like you're ready to reach out and get some help for yourself or someone else, um, we're going to put the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline uh, numbers in the, um, in the show notes. Is that, is that right? Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, also SAMHSA, S-A-M-E. HSA um, is a national organization that uh, provides links to uh, treatment and they even have an online treatment finder. So if after this conversation, you're feeling like um, it's time to reach out or get some support, um, those two resources could be very helpful to you. Awesome. Well, we thank you for sharing those and yeah, they will be in the show notes um, and we'll, we'll make sure to put those, those on there as well. Um, Have you seen, you know, you talked about anxiety and depression on the rise over the last couple of years. Have you seen also an increase of care providers or opportunities to get care as a result of the increase of depression and anxiety? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it's a result of the increase in depression, anxiety, but it certainly is serving those folks that need that help. And I think this is where, I mean, telehealth has gone from, well, I'll tell you a story. When I started, um, I started at Michigan state, helping them build a telehealth clinic, um, about uh, a little over a year ago. Um, well, let's see, it would have been just before COVID kind of really hit hard. And at that time I had to try to convince folks that telehealth is something that's worth doing. American Psychiatric Association came out and said that uh, telehealth is as or more effective than in-person care for most mental illnesses. Um, And so that data started coming out. It was really a very hard sell though. Um, Insurance companies weren't always covering it. People didn't think this was really a feasible way. Um, Providers didn't feel like they could provide care well over telehealth. And then all of a sudden, along comes COVID and everybody has to do telehealth. And all of a sudden we have 
these converts basically who are saying, this is amazing. I can reach my, I can reach folks and they don't have to take a half a day off work to come to me. I can see them in an hour and they can go right back to what they were doing. Um, you know, people who are in rural areas have no, have a really hard time finding providers. There's just not enough people out there. Um, and, and especially if you're, if you're someone who's looking for a specific type of provider or a specific, you know, or if you're, if you're a minority, for example, or you're someone who really wants to look to see someone who matches your identity, very, very hard to do that in a, in a rural area. And telehealth has just blossomed. And it's not only blossomed in, in the fact that almost every um, organization that's providing mental health care and that's providing physical health care is now automatically thinking about options for telehealth, um, but also insurance companies are starting to cover it more and more. Um, and they will have to do that because the data is rolling in that this is really actually very effective and that you don't actually have to sit in the same room with someone always to get good care. That's really encouraging to hear. Um, you know, I, I deal with uh, depression and anxiety myself and um, over the last year and a half, my my care has moved largely online. And just exactly what you said, um, being able to meet with a provider, you know, for even some of my appointments are just 15 minutes. Um, and I, I can do that at home, no problem. Um, you know, oftentimes there's extended hours. Um, so I don't have to take any time off of work. And that's been a really huge blessing. It's been really cool to see how that's, um, how that has transformed um, the kind of care that we're receiving. And it's really encouraging to hear that this option is available for people in rural areas because, um, I mean, it's so hard to find care, especially for mental health in rural areas. So this transformation has is, is really been awesome. Mm-hmm. I think the stigma has gone down too. Um, first of all, you can much you can be much more private about accessing care. If you're doing telehealth, you don't have to tell everybody at the office, I'm leaving to drive an hour and a half to see a therapist, you know, like you can instead, you can just, you can just say, I'm having a private lunch meeting. I'm going to lock the door. You know what I mean? And you're, and you can stay right where you are. You don't have to um, walk in and introduce yourself to a person. You can just get online and, and look and find them and communicate with them. So I think it, it lowers a lot of barriers to care. Um, and I think as a result, more people are getting care more people are benefiting from care. And then the stigma starts to go down because people start to say, Hey, this worked for me. This was helpful. I mean, it's like, it's like you, um, you know, having the courage to say, I, I struggle with depression, and anxiety. I get my care, you know, here, there, it, every time someone has the courage to do that, it, it, it gives other people permission to get the help that they, that they need. And this is quite a private way of doing that, which is, which is really quite nice. Yes, it is. It, it, it really is. And that's, um, I think that's a critical component um, that has to be thought about when, when thinking about <laughs> this topic. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> I think when you, I think the, 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 the rules of seeking out care stay the same, right? You still want to look for folks that are board certified. If you're looking for a medical provider that are, um, you know, have um, good, good ratings online or have good credentials, somebody that you feel like you connect well with um, all of those pieces stay the same. What's different is that now, instead of having a provider who lives within 20 minutes of you, you can access any provider in your state and, you know, hopefully, Hopefully, eventually, if we can update some of the licensing laws, any provider in the country. No, that's super encouraging just to know that, like, especially 
I live now near Twin Falls and Twin Falls has some options, but I think there might be better options in Boise or there might be, you know, maybe there's somebody really good in North Idaho that I would, could connect better with just broadening the geographic location um, is, is super cool, especially, or, or I even look at like our cows are in, in rural Nevada and the people Mm -hmm. that run, you know, to get to to town is an hour and it's not Mm -hmm. even a big town. Right. It probably doesn't have a lot of mental health problems. And then the other thing is that if you live in a rural place, you don't necessarily want to live three doors down from your therapist or your psychiatrist or whatever you're seeing. You know what I mean? It's like, you, it's, I've had a lot of folks tell me as much as they like working with me, they appreciate the fact that I'm not going to run into them in the grocery store and I don't know their kid's teacher and I'm not, you know what I mean? So, I mean, in it's hard for providers too to be in a rural area because, um, you know, you can't, you can't connect with your community if you know all of the private mental health information of all the people in the community. It's actually very isolating for a provider. Um, and so in this way, providers can have their community and people can have their community and they can go just far enough outside of it that they still have somebody who understands them and kind of gets rural life, um, but doesn't necessarily live right next door. I think that's, those are all great points and great great ways where we can all just totally relate that we don't always think about either. Um, when you first started talking, you mentioned burnout. Um, and I know it seems like the end of 2021, I, I suffered some, some burnout and I'm trying really hard to prevent that from happening and I'm not doing a very good job of it, but all the rest of us (laughs) hard, you know, it's hard. Is this is, you know, why is it that COVID and so forth, you see more burnout now than we had pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, we're social creatures. Human beings do not live well in a vacuum. Um, and, you know, I think that that isolation is just, it's, it's, it goes against our very natures. Um, and so I think it's, it's really hard. And I think um, a, a lot of people, myself included, will, will, will sort of, I'll self-talk and I'll say, well, what's wrong with me? I live in a beautiful rural town. I can see the mountains. My house is well heated. I, you know, I'm fine. What is wrong with me? But the fact is that just being isolated from other people is incredibly strange stressful on human beings. And most people are actually happier living in a less, uh, you know, in a smaller, less, less, uh, less comfortable place with their people than they are living by themselves in a, in a palace, you know? And so I think I really do think burnout is um, a real problem. And I think also, you know, as human beings, we, um, touch is incredibly important, right? I mean, when we interact with each other, how often do you put your arm around somebody or you, you know, pat somebody on the back or you, you know, elbow them if you're telling a joke or something like that, all those pieces are removed. Um, and so it's not, even though it it is lovely to be able to telecommute and then you can, you know, I live in a rural area, I telecommute, um, all those pieces are, are possible. And that's, that's a nice advantage. We still have to work much harder at creating that sort of real interaction um, because it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. Um, And even, you know, when you're, when you're interacting like in a, in a, in a, um, in a meeting type setting, I was just telling my colleagues the other day that uh, you can't walk out of the, walk into the meeting and walk out of the meeting together. And those are two very social times. And those are times when you get a read on your colleagues and things like that. And I find it personally really exhausting when I'm working in telehealth and when I'm working with my colleagues and we have a meeting and I I have to ask them point blank, like, what did you think about that meeting? What's your feedback? Because I can't, 
I can't get that from walking out and seeing their eye contact or seeing the way they're carrying themselves and those kinds of things. It takes extra work to in it to um, to interact um, virtually. It takes a lot of extra work, actually. And I think the other piece is that for many folks that work um, that you know work online, you're sitting all the time. There's no getting up and going and grabbing a coffee. There's no walking to lunch with someone. Somebody. There's no, you know, there's none of that collegiality. Our meetings tend to be sort of back to back to back. And we don't typically create like a, a coffee space. And those because some, some companies are doing that. And I think that's really helpful. I think the other piece that's really contributing to, to burnout, and, and I think you see this in the numbers of depression and anxiety, higher in women who have children. Um, and part of that is because what they say is that a lot of times the burden of um, caring for children falls on women. And I think, especially because women tend to get paid less on average uh, than men do. So if a family is trying to decide somebody has to stay home, um, the majority of the time it ends up being the woman who ends up staying home. So she's got that extra layer of isolation. Now she has kids, school age kids that aren't going to school. And she's, and she, and of course, you know, um, the, the dad is, dad as well has to has to help with this. You've got to help those kids navigate a very strange and a very scary situation. And that's exhausting. And I think the other piece that's really tiring is the unpredictability, right? We were joking in the beginning that, oh, this is going to last a few months. Well, then it was six months, then it was a year, and now we're going on two years. And now we're talking about it's never going to be the same again. So that collective, um, that that collective sort of trauma that's happened to all of us um, takes a toll. It takes a toll, and I and and I think we have to give ourselves all a little bit of a little bit of grace and recognize that you know that that is we're tired because what we're doing is tiring, um, and I think it's important to remember that. I, th- I think the other thing is that um, a lot of people have died, and um, you know even even though each individual community may not may may be impacted differently, so there are some communities that have lost a lot of people and some communities that have lost relatively few or none. But nonetheless, every day we see those numbers, we see that racking up, we see that the healthcare field is totally overwhelmed, we see that doctors are, are turning people away from hospitals because they can't take care of any more people. These are scary things and they're unpredictable. And I think a combination of scary and unpredictable um, really takes a toll, Um, which is one of the reasons that, you know, I and others have, sometimes you just have to take a step back, turn off the social media, turn off the news and take a little, little break because our brains, when we see something happening on the news, um, yeah, our brains immediately assume that it's literally right outside our door. That's how we're wired, right? Because for almost all of time, if you saw something with your eyes, it was happening in front of you. It's been a very, very short period of time in our sort of evolutionary history that when we see something, it could be a thousand miles away, it could have absolutely nothing to do with our community. But yet we internalize that as if it's happening outside of our door and we start to get shaky and we start to get ready to run away. And we have our, you know, our, our cortisol levels go up and our stress hormones go up because our bodies are wired to think that whatever I'm seeing is happening right outside my door. And so sometimes just shutting those things down and telling yourself, this is my community. This is my space. This is what I have control of. It's okay to not mourn the loss of every single other thing that's going on in the world and to not listen to all the bad news. Um, That's the other piece is that we have to remember that humans are wired to pay more attention to bad news than good news. And so the news, the media, they understand that. And so they tell lots of bad news because it gets their viewership up. But we have to remember that that's not all that's going on in the world. There's a lot of really, really good things that are coming out of this and really good things going on in the world. And we have to try to shut off the bad news for a minute 
and look at those things and kind of remind ourselves and give ourselves the space to, to rest. Because I think collectively, this has been a really, really difficult time for the whole world. And I think for farmers and ag, there's been, I mean, there's a, you know, labor shortage and, you know, prices are fluctuating. And then we've got the trouble with, with supplies. So if you're building something, all of a sudden your, your, your building materials are stuck somewhere and they're not getting where they need to go. And you're worrying that, you know, employees are coming in and are they, are they sick? Are they going to get everybody else sick? And, you know, it's a lot of stress and it's gone on for a really long time. And so I think, it's understandable that we should be collectively tired um, and that we should um, we should just I think the only thing to do really is to is to acknowledge that and sort of and sort of give ourselves some some space because it's it's not easy what we're doing is not easy to navigate all of this I think we need to just give a moment there to soak in what you just said we are collectively tired Mm-hmm. And we need to give ourselves space. I think that that is a really, really, really important thing that we need to pay attention to um, and uh, and give credence to mm-hmm. um, because, you know, in agriculture, especially it's all just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And, and it's just, it's too easy to get to a place of burnout. And then, you know, you're trying to pour from an, from an empty cup and you can't, there's nothing left to give. Right. And I think that's the piece, right? All of us are put your boots on, get out in the cold. If it's snowing, there's still animals that need to be fed, you know, pull it together, those kinds of things. I think that sometimes um, you can grab little moments. You know, I mean, if, if you're an ag, you also, there's some beautiful things that you get to be a part of an ag and there's a rhythm to ag that is, um, that is not there, I think, in other, in other fields. And I think, you know, the s- snow still falls in the winter and the birds still come back in the spring and the sun still shines in the summer. And in, in ag, you have the privilege of feeling and tasting and seeing all of those things. And so I think we all have to take a moment to just take a deep breath and remind ourselves that, that it's a privilege to be able to work to work in ag. It's also a huge burden, but but we're feeding the country. And you know, even though I think it wasn't always acknowledged, when we talk about um, essential workers. We don't always talk about farmers, but honestly, you're the ones that are feeding the doctors and the nurses and the people who are fighting this pandemic. And without that, where would we be? Yeah, that's um, something worth remembering, certainly. Uh, Listeners, we're going to pause right here and take a little break to hear from our sponsor. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Nora, we, we are, there's so many great things and I'm trying to, um, in the interest of time, just maybe skim through a couple of our questions, but um, is mental health in rural areas deteriorating as fast as it seems to be reported now? Or are we just paying more attention to it? That's a, it's a good question. I, I think the things that really, the, the things that really feed into mental illness and to mental health deterioration are social isolation, check for the last two years, right? Financial strain, check for the last two years. Um, 
lack of access to mental health treatment. I think we're creating more access, but still um, folks don't necessarily have it quite yet, or they're just learning how to do that. Um, and then, um, you know, a chronic illness um, affecting people. And so you kind of can check off each of the boxes of things that we would expect would make uh, mental health symptoms increase. And so this is not only for folks who have never had mental health problems, but also for the many, 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 many thousands of us who have. And so if you have depression or anxiety, or if you have a substance use disorder, we would expect it to be getting worse because people have been under this collectively longstanding um, time of stress. So I think, I think the answer is that it probably is getting a little bit harder and a little bit worse. And um, there are responses to that that are coming up. There are um, positive voices out there. There are people who are building telehealth platforms that are reaching out to rural areas. So I think ultimately, I am ever the optimist. I think we're going to come out having gained some, but I don't think we can ever forget what we've lost as well, not only in lives, but in um, just that, that sense of security, that sense of, of, um, of, of health and of wellness that's no longer guaranteed to us. I think to wrap up our discussion, as Val said, we could we could go on for hours with you, and maybe we need to have you back on more often <laughs> so that we can address a mental health moment every. <laughs> That's awesome! I love that. Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> um, but to wrap up this episode, can you talk a little bit about um, how how can we have those kind of awkward conversations with someone who you know is struggling and needs help? How, what can we do to help each other if we see something like that? Because it's really, really awkward. You can't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you seem like you're depressed. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, maybe some people can, but yeah. by and large, that's not really how the conversation goes, right? It's hard. It's hard, right? Um, I think a couple of things. I think often the hardest step is the first one. So it's like breaking that ice is what's the hardest. And sometimes it just takes a lot of courage. And I think what you said, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody um, would be offended if somebody came up and said, you look like you're having a hard time. Is everything okay? Is there anything I can help you with? I mean, I, I can't imagine that someone would take tremendous offense at that, especially not if it's said out of love. I mean, you're not doing it to poke fun at someone. You're doing it because you're genuinely concerned. And we do know that mental health treatment and mental health support works. It helps. It does get these, these things can be treated and they can get better, um, but often they won't on their own. And so you may be actually extending a lifeline to someone. And the other thing that I would say is what you're seeing on the surface is most likely, especially if you're an acquaintance and maybe not like a spouse or a parent, but it's often much, much less than what's going on below the surface because most of us do a pretty good job of putting on a good face. Um, and so I think if you are noticing that a colleague or a friend, they're just not who they seem to usually be, that their energy levels are low, they seem discouraged, um, they seem um, less enthusiastic than normal, they're missing deadlines, um, you know, they're showing up late to work. They're, they're, they're looking like they're not paying much attention to how they look when there's somebody who used to do that. Um, those are all warning signs that something might be going on and, and bringing up the topic is okay. Um, the worst thing that could happen would be you don't bring up the topic and then that person ends up suffering or even dying. 
I mean, the, the, and the opposite of that would be you bring up the topic and they're offended by it. Well, you were doing the best that you could. And um, I rarely hear it. I talk to a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people with uh, mental health concerns. I don't know that I've ever heard somebody who was offended because someone asked them if they were okay. I've definitely heard of many people who say, I wish somebody had asked me if I was okay, because I would have been able to get help with this sooner. And the same thing is true of suicide. You know, we might think that if you ask someone, are you thinking about ending your life, that, that it would introduce that idea. It would not. We've shown this over and over again, that you might save somebody's life by asking them that. And if they say yes, then you get them connected. Take that seriously every single time. That is always serious call your primary care doctor, call the National Suicide Hotline, um, go to the emergency room if you have to. Um, but, um, you know, all of those pieces, you're not going to hurt anybody by caring. Um, you know, and of course you want to do it in a, in a, in a kind, in a private way, you don't announce it at, you know, some staff meeting or something like that, but you all know how to approach people. Um, and I, I don't think anybody is going to be, is going to be hurt. And, and, you know, it's really about getting the, the language down and practicing it and, and, and just think to myself, well, what would I want this person to say to me? Um, and then, you know, I try to have the courage to say, to say that because you, you really will change people's lives. Well, I think that's a great way to end the episode too, with some encouragement. And I know it's hard, at least for me to see people through the camera, you know, or body language, or, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can mask a lot behind the camera, but taking those opportunities when we do have in person, or you notice, you know, conversations over the phone or something like that to, to try to help and reach out, I think is, is just a beautiful thing. And I, I think we all have to, you know, be in this together. Cause like you said, we don't know when it's going to hit. We're on our third variant I know. of COVID and some places are locked down. Some have mandates, some don't, you know, we just don't know where, where our lives are going to go this year, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's an opportunity to make things smaller, to have a smaller community and really support that small knit group. Um, and that's okay. Sometimes, sometimes there's only a small number of people that you can support. Um, but yeah, that isolation is really hard and, and, and nobody's going to blame you for reaching out and saying, how are you? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that is, that's beautiful, Nora. And we thank you again for coming on. Would you um, provide your resources one more time for our listeners? Um, Certainly. So um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. Um, they are also at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, and um, the other one is the SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A, -S -S their national helpline, which is one 800 662 help. Uh, that's also known as the treatment referral routing service. Um, and if you go to SAMHSA's websites, samhsa.gov slash find help slash national helpline, um, they have an online treatment locator as well. So if you're looking for uh, providers uh, near you, um, that will, that can help. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Nora, um, for coming on and joining us this week. And listeners, we thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Um, Catherine and I are here for you, too. If you need somebody to reach out or you don't know what to do, um, Catherine and I can be a listening ear as well. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, direct message us, or you can email, even email us at talktous at millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag.